I think being curious keeps you young and keeps you growing and keeps you vital and keeps your brain active and keeps the world interesting. Hello, my friend. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, first of all, thank you and welcome back. Secondly, you might have noticed that I have a special love in my heart for people who have braved the wilds of the creative process and birthed a novel later in life. And I have a really special one for you today. Rebecca Keller is an award-winning short story writer an internationally exhibited artist, a college professor, and recipient of awards from the National Endowment for the Arts. But once upon a time, she was a house cleaner, a shuttle driver, a waitress, and a nursing home cook. She got a graduate degree to improve her lot and ended up working in museums where she wrote about art and gave tours, making her own work at night. She had children. She began teaching at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, and she was awarded a Fulbright. She even did a TEDx talk, and she began writing fiction. Her short stories have been nominated for a Pushcart Prize. She is now 64 years old, and her debut novel, You Should Have Known, has just been released from Crooked Lane Books. I highly recommend this book, folks. Now, I am not a literary critic by any means, but I will tell you, this is a suspenseful novel based in a senior living facility. I love that. Its main protagonist is a grieving grandmother. She's a retired nurse with a sharp mind who is not happy to be living in a retirement home. And the chaos and suspense begins from there. Oh, hey, before we get rolling with Rebecca's story, I want you to know that I have a gift for you. I just recorded three wave-making midlife meditations for stress, sleep, and self-compassion. They're only five minutes long each, so if you're just getting into meditation and you want to dip your toes, or if you want a short guided meditation to use when you don't have a lot of time, they are perfect for you. You can sign up to receive the downloads by going to latebloomerliving.com. And from there, you just click on the big yellow button at the top of the page. I think it says free meditations. And then let me know where to email them to you. All righty then. Without further ado, here's Rebecca Keller. Let's go. 
Hi, Rebecca. Thank you so much for being with me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm really excited to be here. I am super excited. Um, I finished reading your book and I will say it is a page turner. Congratulations. Thank you you so much. I'm glad. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Your title of your book is You Should Have Known. I love that. Thank you. Do you want to talk about why you gave it the title? Because I don't want to give away anything. Well, the title is interesting because that was not its original title. And so when you mentioned it's a page turner, I mean, I'm thrilled to hear that. And a lot of people have said that, but it doesn't easily fit in kind of categories. You know, it, it it's kind of marketed as a mystery. It's kind of marketed as suspense um, or a psychological thriller. And it's or literary fiction with an aspect of a mystery. So all those things are sort of true. But if you had a Venn diagram, there'd be a lot of overlaps. Um but it's not a traditional, you know, body on first page, cop shows up on page 10 or the detective. And it, it's it's obviously not, as you know, not that kind of. No, it's a slow build, actually. And I can see where you're saying psychological thriller, definitely suspense. I mean, I'm not sure at what point it happened, but there was a point when I got bitter when somebody would interrupt me while I was reading. Oh, oh, I love let's, that. Let's put it that, that way. That's a beautiful thing to tell an author. Thank you so much. <laughs> That is really a wonderful thing to hear. My husband always says, you know, if he sees me um, brushing my teeth and reading a book, he's like, oh, it's a good one, huh? (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Oh, that is so great. Um, But you asked about the title. And so when I submitted it, it was under a different title. And the reason I started talking about, you know, what kind of genre it it fit in or didn't quite fit in was because the, um, the publisher wanted to explore different titles. So that was kind of a a mutually, you know, we iterated back and forth a little bit to come up with a title that seemed a little bit more in line with what the book was and and gave a sense of more kind of page turning and suspense. So that's how the title came to be. Yeah. And I definitely see to where you guys mind the title from without giving too much away. So I want to go back to talking about your journey to writing your first novel. If you don't mind me asking, how old are you? Is that okay? I am 64. 64. And this is your first novel, but you've written short stories before? Yes. But your training is as an artist. That is where you started as as a visual artist. Right. And I'd love to know a little bit more about the journey from visual art to starting to write and then what brought you to to writing a novel at this point? Well, it's not like I've left making visual art. I'm still a a visual artist and I I have an exhibition opening uh, this weekend, actually. Congratulations. Thank you. Which will be uh, in the past for anybody listening, by the way, because we are recording on April 13th. Right. Anyway, so I'm still a visual artist. I'm still making work. So I never said, oh, I'm going to stop this and do the other. Writing has always been a, a big part of my creative life in all kinds of ways and, and professional life. As a museum person and now as a professor, I've always done a lot of writing. And my artwork has, sometimes has contained text or been hybrid. But my sketchbooks and things, a lot of times in developing my visual artwork, there's a lot of writing and So the path between my brain and my writing muscles were 
you know, were well oiled anyway. And then um, I don't know how to describe it, except that maybe about 10 years ago or so, a book grabbed me by the throat, an idea for a book grabbed me by the throat and would not let go. So I just started it and I actually finished it. It, you know, I have to root it out from every corner of my computer and make sure it never sees the light of day because I'm sure I would cringe. (laughs) But, you know, once I sort of make a commitment that I want to do something and I want to learn it and I want to come to understand it as a creative practice, you know, I'm stubborn. And so other things intervened in my life. Like I did a TED talk. I did a lot of exhibitions around the world and uh, I was contributing editor and, and wrote an essay about some, some of the art projects that all happened. So it seemed that it made sense if I was going to honor my commitment to develop an understanding of writing fiction, that writing short stories would make more sense given the, everything else I had going on. Mm-hmm. So I began writing short stories, won you know, a few small awards, was nominated for a couple bigger awards. And one of those short stories, and it was really short, like maybe a thousand words, contained the germ of the idea that became this book. Oh, how so interesting. In a, in a kind of big baggy nutshell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. So gosh, where to start? There there's so many possibilities. Let let's talk about the actual book for a moment because there are so many themes in the book that I think speak to what I'm trying to do with this podcast, which is to talk about the aging process and the the challenges of it. Um, your main character, Franny, is in a senior living facility. And I think you had told me back when we talked a couple of months ago that you had worked in a senior living facility yeah. when you were younger. So I could see where that comes in. You know, I I found myself actually taking pictures of pages. Here's here's one bit that I, I took a picture of. It's when they're trying to get her her daughter and her doctor, who she trusts very much, are trying to get her to get somebody to help her with bathing. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope I'm not giving anything no, away. I think, that's, I think that's, that's fine. Yeah, seminal to the uh, to the plot. But she says, "You say here in, in Franny's voice, I wanted to scream. I was looking at two people I trusted, and one who loved me more than almost anything, and yet I was feeling furious, betrayed, and a tiny irritating part of me knew they were right. My outrage at the injustice of getting old and helpless felt like a mountain inside of me. Oh." a glacier shearing off and crashing into the sea. To my horror, I felt tears behind my eyes. I swallowed and looked away. Ah, that that for me captures exactly what my fear of aging is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that whole section, I think she had also describes it as you might as well get mad at the weather. You know, um, it's equally beyond your control and equally, you know, impactful on your life. And yeah, she, and this is, you know, um, this is somebody who is in her right mind. She's 
very sharp. She does not have cognitive impairment. And she doesn't have terrible physical ailments. She just has the cumulative effect of, you know, a few falls, a few injuries. And um, and so she's well, and she's a former nurse. So she's well aware of what's happening in her body. And she's also aware of, you know, <laughs> the time is not gonna, it's not gonna get better, even if it stays the same. And th that's not, you know, it's not how it works. And so, yeah, she, she, you know, she's, and I tried not to make the view of aging too grim because she has a real sense of humor about it. I think generally she, you mm -hmm. know, has a kind of wry, you know, um, joke, joke with herself about, you know, the kind of freedom, like I'm going to eat what I want. I don't care what my kids say. And, you know, um, you know, it's sort of, she's she feisty. She's yeah, feisty, feisty, which I love about her. Yeah. You know, there was there's freedom in being old. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There, you also take advantage of the fact in, in the story that with age, especially maybe for women, there comes this invisibility, which allows you to perhaps do things. And, and then we get into plot stuff. So I don't want to go exactly too far right. with that. Right. But there is that invisibility with age factor. You also in the book touch on how hard it is to make new friends. Yes. You know? Yes. Yes. I mean, and I think we've all felt that uh, even as I get older, um, you know, my husband and I keep thinking about, well, maybe we should move. And part of me is like, you know, my, my children, our children are grown. We have gotten to know so many people through um, being in community with other people who have kids. And I keep thinking, how will I get to know new people without that? Now, obviously there are all kinds of ways. It's not like it's impossible. But but it it's certainly, you know, as you get older and people have more are busier and busier with their own, with their careers, with their family situation. Um, it's it's and they have kind of established groups. It's hard to leave a group and then to find a new tribe, sort of, which it's is hard to stay open to the vulnerability of exposing yourself to a new unknown quantity, right? And and you have to be, I think as we get older, we have to be more intentional about if if you want to make new friends, I think you have to be much more intentional about it. You have to put yourself out there. And I totally agree. That's I so totally vulnerable, agree. you know? Yeah. yeah. And and you don't have um you you don't have any kind of shorthand developed with a new group and you don't necessarily know kind of the culture of the group and um how forward to be and you know all of that um and you don't sort of have your the things to lean on that you do with a bunch of people that you know even if you don't know them well that if you're you know in a similar situation so she's yeah. in a brand new situation and suddenly she's i think at one point i compare it to like a john hughes movie about where to sit <laughs> yes in the time. <laughs> Definitely made me think of the breakfast club right away. One of the reasons that I wanted to put your episode out into the world close to Mother's Day is because of the mother-daughter relationship that's that's in the book. And I think you had told me when we first spoke that your own mother had to go into assisted living and had struggled with her sense of self. Yeah. And I, I wonder 
was that the, the germ of the original short story that then led to this? Was it your experience with your mom? No, actually, it was not. The short story existed before that happened. Mm. But the setting became, I, I think I think the setting is almost another character in the book. And when she moved into assisted living, I started thinking about how um, that would make a great setting for a book because, you know, it, there, there's a reason why authors are drawn to kind of closed situations or semi-closed situations, mm, like mm-hmm. a wedding weekend or, or a boarding. Classic Poro, right? The yes, mystery right? thing, like nobody can leave the house. Yeah. <laughs> because, or, or you think YA, you know, like a middle school or a boarding school even. Mm. Because in those places, emotions are really amplified. You know, gossip happens. People are all trying to make new friends. You know, there's a lot of kind of like friction about, you know, where you belong, all of that kind of stuff. But in an assisted living facility, it also struck me as in a relatively small town, all their histories are coming with them. And perhaps their histories with one another, in addition to maybe unreliable memories or people know things about one another that other person doesn't know they know. And so it, it struck me as a really rich place to set a story. And also, as you say, you know, the add in the emotional challenges of being older and the paradoxical freedom of being old, where you, you also have the luxury of not giving a hoot, you know, and mm-hmm. thinking. Even if I do something, who's gonna who's gonna care and who's gonna suspect me? Because you are kind of culturally invisible, and people don't assume you have any agency. People don't assume you can do things. And of course, Franny is more than capable of doing things. So when my mother moved into that place, and it was a w- w- lovely place, it was a really lovely place. It really that that earlier short story sort of sparked in my in my mind and I thought I I think this might be a a good you know place to to set that story and to see what happens if I just kind of push it and push it and push it how fascinating how fascinating and I feel like you really understand the character of Franny and on an uncanny level of of someone it's someone who is that age and it it makes perfect sense to me i mean people condescend to her you know the the younger people and i think we do that i certainly have i recognize it in myself that i've condescended to older people and might still even as aware as i try to be about doing that kind of thing these days you know um yeah it really is it really is and and I can imagine myself being pretty bitter about that when I'm 80. (laughs) Don't call me dear. (laughs) Did a lot of that come from your mom's experience or what you witnessed from your mother's experience? It comes from just noticing. My mother was very different than Franny in terms of her character. What I think I I saw my mom go through, um, like... Like Franny, my mother lost, my mom lost two of her kids. Two of my brothers died unexpectedly in like 18 months apart. Not oh, I'm even. so sorry. And it was, of course, 
devastating to our family, but particularly my mother. She just really, I know it shortened her life. And then when my father predeceased her, what I noticed was a, a lack of a sense of purpose. You know, that because she had had cared for one of my brothers had been ill and because my father had been ill, you know, she had been really involved in being a, a caregiver. And obviously more than a caregiver, but, but you know, really spending a lot of time and focus and energy on that. And then when that went away, I think, I think the, the lack of purpose, like what do I do now, was very profound for her. And I think, actually more than Franny, I think I applied some of that to Iris, actually, mm. to Franny's daughter, mm. who is a central figure in the kind of tragedy that reshaped their family and who, you know, really struggles with knowing, you know, what to do with her life now, what, what is her purpose now? And she applies some of that to c- caring for Franny, you know, for taking care of Franny. Absolutely. Um, you know, to watching out for her mother. So it, and I think that's something of a frustration for Franny because I think Franny feels that like Iris almost, um, thinks of her as more needy than she is because Iris is so desirous of, of caring for someone, you know? Um, so I, I think that that was a, that was an interesting dynamic to me to kind of discover in the writing. Hey, we're taking a quick break here to talk about my secret weapon when it comes to running my business. First of all, I want you to know that I consider myself to be a late bloomer when it comes to running a business. I've always been more of a creative type. I have a degree in theater, for crying out loud. (laughs) I started my photography business in my 40s as a side business, and I started this podcast just after I rolled into my 50s. If you are thinking about starting a side hustle or maybe you're already running a new business and feeling a little lost in the weeds or lonely, I am so excited to be able to share information with you about the business mastermind group I'm part of called Groundwork Brigade. I've learned so much from this group led by Kim White and Carrie Zarb, and I think this group can help any entrepreneur with an open mind who is ready to do the work. So if that sounds like you, you can send me an email for more information. Just shoot it off to latebloomerliving at gmail.com. And I have an affiliate link for one free month of access to the group that I'd be very happy to share with you. There are eight opportunities in the month to join in on that free pass so you can see what the experience is like and decide if you want to keep going. I do make a little money if you decide to continue beyond the first month, but there is no extra cost to you. Okay, let's get back to our regular conversation. When we spoke the first time, you talked a lot about your parents Um that they thought education was important, but they never got to go to college. And Franny is a very educated woman. And we haven't even talked about the fact that you teach on the college level. Right, I'm a professor. How do you think that that all plays into your journey to writing this novel like taking you through the process of it? You know, it's so interesting to try to sit outside myself and 
to recognize the threads, the kind of thought threads and experiential threads that come out in a book in a way that, you know, is untraceable to anybody, you know, who isn't inside my brain. But yeah, I, I, I mean, my high school was not a very, I mean, I, I didn't even know there was such a thing as a college counselor. Nobody from my high school went to, or very few. And I ended up kind of by accident in art school. And because I found a brochure in the trash, because I was always in the art room, but it just, it was just such, it, it was so not the experience of most of the people that went to that school. And, and then I didn't really have any model for turning an education and art into a career. I still didn't know what to do. I ended up kind of in graduate school and just sort of by accident, I found my way to working in a museum because I, I realized I wanted to talk about art to people who didn't know anything about it, but were intelligent and curious. So I ended up in a museum, found out I was really good at that and did a lot of writing for that. And then I um, was offered to teach a few classes at, at the School of the Art Institute where I ended up becoming a, a professor. So it, it was always kind of astonishing to me that I ended up a professor just it 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 feels sort of like a series of um of happy accidents that I just sort of blundered my way through <laughs> and and ended up in a wonderful situation you know my mother would have loved to have gone to school and although she and Franny are very different in character their backgrounds are the same in that Franny grew up without much money on a farm in the middle of North Dakota, which is exactly my mother's experience. And she wanted to go to nursing school, not my mother, Franny. And she ended up, you know, making her way through. And she actually, she really wants to have a child. And she is unable to get pregnant, as you know. And so she decides she will account for herself by going to medical school. And at that time, it was pretty rare for women to be in medical school. And while she's in medical school, she gets pregnant and is, almost loses the baby and is faced with the choice to either give up medical school or, you know, give up her dream of being a mother. And one of the things that I took from my mom was a recognition for women of a certain generation. I think in the book, she says, you know, how women react to that story tells me how old they are. And mm. women of her age understand immediately the impossibility of being pregnant and having an in or the near impossibility of being pregnant and having a difficult pregnancy and an infant while you're in medical school as a woman in that age uh, would have been the early 60s say whereas women of her daughter's age are angry that it was a choice but recognize it, it had to have been a choice because they by now have mortgages and and competing demands on their time and energy. And women of her granddaughter's age are outraged that she even had to, that it, it you know, even was a, a question. And my mother used to talk about that a lot when she looked at my life and my children's life, my daughter's lives. So I think that aspect of my mother's trajectory, again, she had a very different character than Franny and very different ambitions than Franny. But that sort of generational aspect really, you know, does come through in, in Franny's character. Yeah. 
I feel like, and maybe, I don't know if you recognize this or, or even if I'm on target with it, but I feel like you've taken some of your mother's situation and background, but then a lot of Franny's character strikes me as being very much you. Um, even though, even though she, I mean, she's a nurse, but she's very sharp. She's educated. She, you know, she's an independent woman, um, at heart. Yeah. I think, I think that that's fair. (laughs) You're the first person that said that to me, but I, I think I could see that. Yeah. Cause she's stubborn. She's also stubborn. And I could see almost, you know, when you're creating this story, I mean, really, there's so much in the story that just seems completely realistic. I mean, you know, everything that you've done to set it up just seems very plausible. There is nothing that made me go, oh, that would never happen, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, um, good. Good. Yeah. And uh, where am I going with that? Oh, I'm I'm thinking about you as the, as the writer sitting down to write and and trying to, you know, inhabit Franny. And did you did you picture yourself in a assisted living and and what that would be like? Like, how did you get into Franny's head? Well, one thing that occurs to me, for example, a couple of years ago, I broke both my arms at the same time. Oh. Oh, which dear. was not fun. No, and, that's horrible. Um, I'm sorry, and, I'm laughing, but I can't even, <laughs> well, like, oh, I mean, that's horrible. It, it, it's kind of comical. It was at the time, even at the time. And I think that that, in that way, it was kind of like Franny and that you realize, you know, I would, I would create all these workarounds to enable to do, you know, to live life with one arm in a sling and one arm in a, in a past. And, um, and I realized, you know, what, you're a great interviewer because I hadn't even made this connection before. And but you, what you just said made me think the, there's all these workarounds that Franny has to describe. I was just thinking about a couple of scenes in the book. Yeah, you know where she has to do all these kind of things because she doesn't trust that you know she has to make sure she doesn't fall or she can't reach something. So right. she because she's independent and she's smart, she figures out workarounds. And on your question, I mean, I remember at one point taking a belt. <laughs> this is so ridiculous. So you know how laundry baskets have handles on yes. sides? Taking a belt and holding it in my mouth, stringing it through both sides of the laundry basket and, and hanging on to the other thing with my mouth and then balancing it on my hip with my hands and casts and carrying oh my, my laundry that way. I mean, it's a ridiculous <laughs> image. And, and hilarious, you know, it was, it sounds like something from, I don't know, I love Lucy or something, but I, I did that because it was the only way I could carry a basket of laundry (laughs) and not have it hurt. And I can imagine Franny having to come up with a similar kind of ridiculous workaround for, to accommodate for some, some disability or inability. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. You had mentioned that you, your mom had struggled with her sense of self. Does that, was that something that kind of infused itself into this story at all? Well, I, the, her sense of purpose, I think, because her she sense of purpose. herself for a while. So it's so, so defined herself as someone who cared for her family. Mm. And then when, when Iris became so bereft and, you know, when Franny fell a few times and, and seemed more vulnerable, I think Iris sort of made Franny almost her replacement, you know, her her own daughter's replacement in terms of having a, somebody to care for, someone to worry about, 
and mm-hmm. another person as a purpose. You know, the so interesting. So it's almost like your mom's story became the daughter's story. In a way, I think it really infused, infused Iris. That's know. fascinating. So I am wondering, what have you learned about yourself in the process of getting your first novel published and put out into the world? Well, that I am um, persistent. (laughs) And that's not something I didn't know. I mean, I joke with my students that I didn't get enough rejection and work for no money as an artist. Right. You mentioned that in your TED Talk, actually, because you had started. (laughs) No, it's insane. So, so I, I kind of knew that about myself and I knew that about, about any creative field. You, you just have to be persistent. You know, you, I mean, among other things you have to do, you have to work hard. You have to be willing to learn. You have to be constantly trying to improve your craft and to, you know, take in criticism and, and see what's meaningful and get better and all of that. But on top of everything, you have to be persistent and committed to your own work and committed to your own process. Did you ever hesitate to do this because you felt like it was like, did you ever think, oh, what am I, who am I kidding? I'm, I'm, I'm too old for this. Or did any of that come up for you? Well, not really. I mean, it's not like I didn't get discouraged mm-hmm. or think like, you know, this is never going to see the light of day. Um or I don't know what I'm doing. So so there's two things. You get frustrated with the actual, what you're making. Mm-hmm. You know, like the scene is not working and I don't know why or, you know, whatever. Um, right, so which I think is just part of any artistic process. You know, exactly. that, that just goes with the territory. Right. And then there's, when you do have a, a, a product of, that you think is valuable and you want to, you know, get out into the world, then the process of getting it out into the world is another area of frustration. And of course, the longer that takes, the more you have self-doubt. And without the benefit of a a more formalized education, the more kind of formalized credentials in that regard, you know, it, it sometimes makes it harder to keep your keep my spirit up. Just just as like a professional baseball hitter, the best hitters fail seven out of ten times. And those are far better odds than there there are for artists and writers and things. Of it's crazy, right? Or, or yeah. feeling like their their work is registering with the world. It's it's really difficult, and it can be very lonesome. So, but I can't say I ever felt like um, the kind of self doubt were like, what am I doing? Because if an artist is anything, it's somebody who knows how to teach themselves to, how to figure it out, and to just kind of like a dog and a bone be like or maybe that's just the kind of artist and writer I am like, that's not to say there have were days where I just would go to bed thinking, you know, I could be out doing something a lot more fun or, you know, my friends would be talking about this movie they saw or this thing that they did. And I'm, you know, at home in front of my computer, you know, trying to make a dialogue that feels good, <laughs> that feels right <laughs> and not doing fun stuff. Um, I don't know if that answers your question, but so I never felt like I couldn't, you know, like. You didn't feel hindered by your age is what I'm hearing. It, yeah. There were plenty of other hindrances, but, but that you know, wasn't really one. of the nice really things wanted. about writing is it's, they don't know your age immediately because mm. they don't um, see you. 
I will say, though, that an aspect of age made this book very difficult to publish. And I think it is, it's absolutely connected to age in that I can't tell you how many agents I had say to me, I love this book, but I don't think I could sell a book with an older protagonist. I wondered about that. It's one of the reasons I want to champion this book because the story of older people needs to be told. We're, we're an aging population too. Right. And we're, you know? they're people. You know, it's like suddenly they're in a box called old and it's like agency, autonomy, individuality. Suddenly it's all kind of bleached away. I had one editor who read just a little bit of it at a conference and this was a relatively young man. And I think that makes a difference in terms of how they read the character, but they probably read three pages and they said, yeah, I just don't think we need another quirky, cutesy, you know, Miss Marple, and I'm like, what? That's not at all what your book is. Quirky. First she's of all, cutesy, and <laughs> no. it's you know she's not some British lady visiting her cousin in a in a charming village knitting. Yeah, it was just it was so. But he he clearly saw what he expected to see. He didn't mm. see what was on the page. Mm. He read through this frame that that's what it would be about. And I remember thinking, I it actually, I, I this really sticks in my mind because I remember thinking, I remember being a little bit ticked off. <laughs> you I don't know, blame you. Yeah. You know, it's one thing, like the work, don't like it on its merits or on itself. But he was applying these kind of bullshit, you know, stereotypes that that if a character is an older woman, that she's, you know, ditzy or cutesy or quirky or and if it has any aspect of a mystery that it, you know it's automatically Miss Marvel mm -hmm. and it you know it really <laughs> it ticked me off actually I totally get that because it's just so far off the mark that it's incredible right. to me that that's you know. the way he saw it <laughs> wow yeah. wow that really is a case of somebody's perspective being skewed right and here's the other aspect of that a lot of people have said your your characterization is so seamless, which I took as a compliment, that I expected you to be a lady in her 70s or 80s. Now that I can understand. Yeah. Because you do inhabit Franny with such reality. And I, and I think that's good, right? Yeah. Um, but because of that, and because there are so few older characters that are portrayed with any degree of realism or complexity people automatically assume that I therefore must be that age. Fascinating. And so I think that the ageism worked in two ways. One, assumptions about who the character was, assumptions about, or I should say three ways, a lot of assumptions explicitly stated that people would not want to read a book about an older woman. And I think assumptions that person was a proxy for me, <laughs> that, that I was them. And therefore, an older lady that maybe was not taken seriously as a writer. So I hate mm -hmm. to say that because I'd like to think that people are, are more open than that. And obviously people are because a lot of people are reading the book. A lot of people are liking the book. And I know that our agents are there to sell a book. And so they, they're dealing with the, the world as, as they perceive it to be, not the world they wish it was. Yes. But it's tricky because, you know, all the time we see, I, I, I can't tell you how many people have said, I've never seen a book set in this kind of setting. I don't know this kind of protagonist. This is really, 
awesome to meet someone like this. And of course, that means then that all those agents, I had one agent contact me and say, I really missed the boat. And she said, this is a really great lesson for me. Wow. That. Oh, that's so hopeful. It is. It really God, is. That just fills my heart with all kinds of hope. I love hearing that, right? And the fact that the editor said, we love it. I want to take it, you know, so. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, ageism really is one of the last acceptable isms. I think the more we can be aware of it and catch ourselves in our own ageist thinking, there's so much possibility that opens up. Because I do think the worst form of the ageism is what we're inflicting on ourselves and what we tell ourselves we are capable of as we get older. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, personally, there's certain things that I, you know, when I broke my arms, for example, (laughs) there were certain limitations that I, that the world did impose upon me that were, that I had to grapple with. And, um, and I still have some physical limitations as a result of, the, of those injuries that aren't going to go away. Um, and most of us, by the time you reach a certain age, you, you know, unless you've been very lucky or not at all clumsy, not, you know, which is certainly not true of me, you, you, you know, you, you, there are certain things you have to kind of live with the legacy of. But in terms of my brain, in terms of my creativity, in terms of my discipline, in terms of my perception, um, in terms of my my uh, confidence and in terms of my courage and also my wisdom, which is sort of a hoary word, but it's I think it's real as you get older. All of those things I feel I have are, are have been steadily building and growing. They're muscles I've been developing over time. Mm-hmm. And they are, you know, really I feel in in much greater force. And I have much greater ability to kind of marshal them and to understand um, my my gifts and my deficits than I and to you know figure out how to how to make it work than I did certainly 20 years ago and even 10 years ago. So in a lot of ways, age really sharpens your toolkit. I agree. I agree. And I'm trying to as fearful as I am about losing my autonomy, losing my independence and all that, I have really started to get more curious about the process of aging and what what I might do if I lose the, you know, the ability to see or hear, you know, I'm just on this journey to look at this aging process and wonder what is possible when bit by bit things are pulled away from us right and and then what's left and what what kind of growth is still possible for us as humans because as long as we're breathing on this planet i feel like right. you know that we can continue to grow i totally agree i think that's beautiful i totally agree i mean i'm trying to when i think about it i'm trying to embrace the freedoms that it brings you know, Franny's invisible. I'm at the age where I have in some ways, um, you know, when you're younger, you walk down the street, you're interrupted by people saying stuff to you, you know, men. (laughs) And as that happens less when you get older, it's a marvelous freedom because you're not interrupted. 
your thought, your thinking isn't interrupted anymore. And you can have a, an increase in freedom. I mean, obviously, if something happens and you lose autonomy or you lose one capacity or another to do something that you value doing, that's also hard. But but I think, you know, what what's behind the conversation of aging at the very back of it is the conversation about dying, right? And I mean, not to get too dark about it but in some ways dying is what makes everything meaningful right because without, without a deadline yeah in fact i'm less afraid of dying than i'm sure you know if something if a car was to jump in front of you know if i i see something i'm instantly i have of a course. strong it's not survival like instinct it's not like right. you're saying uh, yes <laughs> i have a very strong survival instinct let's just say that but i don't worry about dying I worry about the the aging process. The losses. Yes, yes. Yeah. That that scares me way more than the idea of dying and crossing over to the other side. Now yeah. put me in the situation and you know that's that's a whole other thing, but uh, right. it's right. it's interesting. Uh yeah. it's so interesting. What yeah. it wouldn't agree. I mean, that's true. I I think I think that's true of a lot of people like, you know, it's one thing if you just go to sleep and you don't wake up when you're 90. That'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> but it's another to, to live with pain, um, particularly, I think, or, or live with a loss that is just too, you know, hard to contemplate or bear. And I, I, all I can do is just hope, you know, I think partly we can all just sort of hope that that doesn't happen or that if it does happen, we somehow have the grace and the wisdom to learn from it and to somehow create meaning in our life in one way or another. I think that's one of the reasons I do this podcast is I'm surrounding myself with the stories of people who have shown resilience through situations, you know, mm -hmm. that and that I am learning about myself as I get older, that I am incredibly resilient and tenacious and curious, and that I think those things will serve me should yes. things go into the crapper. <laughs> I mean, just I think curiosity you know. is such an underrated character trait you know i mean i think being curious keeps you young and keeps you growing and keeps you vital and keeps your brain active and keeps the world interesting so i totally agree with you i think that that's a really underrated thing tremendous oh well i this has been a delightful conversation i'm looking at the time i can't believe how quickly it's gone oh yes Wow. How how can people get a hold of the book? Where else can they find out more information about you? So in terms of more information, there's a lot of reviews and things that are out about the book. And of course, my website, my writer's website is RebeccaAKeller.com um, because there is a science writer that also has my name. So I had to put my middle initial in there. And the book is widely available. It's through Amazon, it's Barnes and Noble, it's, you know, it's Penguin Random House. It should be at most bookstores. I'm, I'm getting pictures, friends are, are finding sightings in the wild, so to speak. So it's a big, a big reach. Thank goodness. Congratulations. Incredible. I, you know, we didn't even go into the process too much of your story of how you got an agent and how you got it all published. Uh, I feel like we might need a part two, but. Um, I would love that. I would love that. This, this was so much fun. 
Oh, thank you so much for, for your time and read her book, people. I will have information in the show notes for people to link to your website and we'll, we'll make sure that people know how to connect with you and the book. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Well, there you have it. And as I wrap up this show, it's just occurring to me, Mother's Day is right around the bend. If you're a mom, I hope you are properly celebrated for all you have done. And I also want to take a moment to acknowledge that it's a holiday that can be filled with mixed emotions, depending on many factors. So above all, I want to remind you to be gentle with yourself. And if you just need a little escapism and want to dive into someone else's fictional world as a welcome distraction, I highly recommend picking up a copy of Rebecca's book, You Should Have Known. If you want more information about where to get your copy of that book, you can find a link to her website in the show notes. You just go to latebloomerliving.com and look for episode 143. Ooh, and here's a reminder that while you're there, you can also get your free gift, Midlife Meditations, as a download. So look for that big yellow button at the top of the screen when you're late bloomer living. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you have a fantastic week. Stay safe and well, and talk soon.